So Mike, we've done a two-part series here. And on last week's episode, if you missed it, we introduced OpenAI and ChatGPT as our guest. So effectively, we're talking to a computer. And last week, we covered why is investing in England good and why is it bad? It gave us three good points. It gave us four negative points. And then we got halfway through what are the different types of investing someone can do in England, and it gave us six points. We covered the first four. If you missed last week's episode, go back, have a listen, and then come back in and listen to this one. Or if you just want to go in halfway through, then we're about to cover the last two points and then get the crystal ball out from OpenAI and ask it the question, is there a good time to invest in property? But it was an interesting chat last week. I think people will have enjoyed that one. Yeah, definitely. It gave a really open and balanced view rather than one which is kind of motivated by your own human emotions and your own experiences, I guess. Yeah. We also found out how difficult sometimes it can be to read on a podcast episode rather than just spit out what we know in our head. (laughs) (laughs) So on the reading point, I think point four was you. Um, So I'm going to import fact point five, I should say. Point four was me. We did that. It was holiday rental investment. And over to you for point five. Well, if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin. There we go. Uh, Development and flipping. This type of investment involves buying a property with the intention of making improvements or renovations and then reselling it at a higher price. Development or flipping can be high risk, high reward investment, and it requires a significant amount of time and capital. I think those last two words are really important, time and capital. I've done some flipping over the years and I'd probably say I've maybe flipped around 10 properties in my life that were purely for investment, not just to live in. And the time element of things is not to be underestimated because when you are refurbing a property, you you see the carcass as it comes, but you don't realise until you start ripping things out what extra work behind the scenes you might need to do. So you definitely need a contingency, don't you? A contingency fund and an extra amount of time, I would say, um, to do it. But you also really have to know your market because you might think it looks like a good refurb and flip, but sometimes in reality, it's it's in the margins anyway. And you're kind of doing a lot of work, time and effort to make a property look great, but there's no profit in it. <laughs> yeah. I found the additional 3% stamp duty um, really s- killed this market off for the amateur. Yeah. Because if you're buying a £300,000 house, an additional 3% tax in cash up front took the took the win out or it made it more difficult to have a quick win and obviously in an upward market if you buy a house spend six months over over refurbishing itself in the evenings and the weekends as um it was sarah beanie wasn't it all those years ago on the property ladder Mm. she would have people buying these houses it would take them six months to refurb them and she'd gloriously tell them how they'd make a 15 or 20 percent profit when frankly they could have bought the house never gone into it and made almost that amount of money, yeah. regardless of what they'd done inside. So yeah. you're more of an expert on flipping. You've done it before. Where do you go to to beat that 3% stamp duty um, barrier to entry? It's tough. I always used to feel in my head with a refurb, what I was looking to do is almost guarantee 30K, but in a win, 50K. 
And that was my way of saying, if I did one of those a year and added that to my income, that was a successful year when it comes to doing a flip. Um, it might be that you drop two in. But where I used to speak to a lot of clients as an estate agent that were interested, especially people builders or um, where you've got husband and wife and one of them doesn't work full time and they're interested in doing a bit of work themselves. They were, used to be quite happy 10 years ago, 15 years ago, used to be quite happy with a 10 or 15 grand uplift with the plan of doing one or two a year thinking, you know, 20, 30K a year extra is really a good win. But what you mentioned about the 3%, it really did kill those opportunities that are out there that I personally wouldn't have looked at because I thought it was too risky. There was too there was not enough margin in it, but but people would. They just dropped out instantly. Um, and that's where I guess now flipping is something that Akil talks about a lot that's been on is actually really a case of do you refurb, refinance and then rent is the better way. And I think the easier way of doing it in this climate, I wish I knew a little bit more about investing um, back in the day when I had all those opportunities, when prices were cheap, when I didn't have kids and and a mortgage of myself for, for a couple of them at least, um, because if I'd have kept hold of them, they'd be worth a hell of a lot more now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I could have refinanced way more than the profit I made out of them. Um, so I guess, yeah, to answer your question, I think a lot of that margin was squeezed on the 3%, but they're out there. They are out there. I think uh, auctions seem to be, you know, pushing. Uh, I think when we spoke to an auctioneer recently, it was 1% of the market and now it's 2% of the market, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's doubled in yeah. the amount of auctions going through. And there are thousands that happen across the country. So maybe auctions is a place to look at and maybe some private deals as well. You know, just, just spotting a property out there that you know in your street or your estate yeah. as an opportunity because something's happened and yeah. it's, it's there to be done. Um, taking, dare I say, as an estate agent, taking some of the middlemen out of the equation always means there's more margins, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a combination of, when it says development or flipping, I think it's development and flipping. Mm. For example, my own residential house, it's the last house on the street that hasn't been extended over the garage. Every other house mm. in my street has completed the development to put another bedroom and bathroom on top of the garage, which lifts it into another price bracket. Now, if I approach a builder to do that, they are well aware of the additional value they're putting on my house, yeah. so we'll price accordingly. But if a builder bought my house, there's probably... A fifty thousand pound margin in it for a builder to do that. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's where they've got the trades, they've got the favors, they've got the friends, um, and obviously they're just paying for materials. So it, there's definitely opportunity out there. It's just where, what, and how. And we've spoke before about rentals and more the refinance part of it. But when you do see garages to the side, there's definitely an opportunity out there with a garage to the side with nothing above it. Um, Point six, when we asked the different types of property investment opportunities in England, was real estate investment trusts. This type of investment is for investors who want to invest in the real estate market, very American phrase here, without buying a physical property. Our company, there are companies that own and operate income generating properties, such as office buildings and shopping centers, and allow investors to invest in diversified portfolio of properties by buying shares in a company. So we might phrase that slightly different in England, but effectively you're, you're getting involved as a sort of angel investor in another company that's actively going out and buying property. Um, the element of trust 
is definitely not my bag or probably yours. Um, but we do have Jamie Shepherd that's come on a few times to talk about these types of things. So you can probably get a bit more info from, from him there. But that's point six, Mike. Overall yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I got a bit obsessed with investment trusts a couple of years ago and read everything online about them and then did nothing about it, which is probably the opposite of what we preach on our own podcast. Um, There are some insanely huge real estate investment trusts in the UK who own tens of thousands of properties and you're effectively buying a share just like you would in a big PLC in a business that owns 20,000 properties. So rather than owning one buy to let, which may be filled, may be empty, may need a new kitchen, which wipes out your profit that year, you're owning a tiny, tiny percentage of Mm. 10,000 properties, which mitigates your risk because within their plan, they will have a void rate, a vacancy rate, um, an increased rate of rents, a turnover rate, uh, you know, everything built into their algorithm of how it works. Now, there's some key words within those points of, do you want to be involved in a business that owns shopping centers right now? Mm. That would frighten the hell out of me because the big shopping centers used to be anchored by Debenhams and House of Fraser um now yeah turning into outlets aren't they really and it, things like that there's so. literally nothing in debenhams yeah. and house of fraser buildings <laughs> so we again we're near the oracle in reading the oracle have just applied to knock down debenhams and knock down the cinema at the end of the oracle and build 450 flats now that is a developer and an owner who is mitigating their risk and is diversifying their portfolio to make sure they don't stay in the hole that they're in because I guarantee they're making a loss. Mm. The shopping centre in Maidenhead is bankrupt at the moment, waiting to be bought out. So there's a lot of risk in certain companies, but in others, they might have 10 big shopping centres, 25,000 flats. They might have retail parks like the Crown Estate own your local retail park. Did Mm. you know that? No, but Mm. it's a good investment. You can buy a tiny share in that and it will return. It's it's a legitimate investment if you don't want to be hands-on owning one buy to let that causes you those problems that we discussed last week about it not being passive. And I'm sure there's minimums and maximums amounts of investment you can put in, but when you were looking into it, it, potentially you can put in less money than you'd need to in a single purchase property. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not you're not financing this you're putting your cash in to 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 buy a a a number of shares so it's it's more akin to investing in the stock market than it is in property yeah okay interesting something for people to look into maybe something for us to try and get someone on to talk about as well and then the the question that we threw in at the end so what does ai think about when is a good time to invest in property and We'll cue the robot uh, voice as Mike reads out the this little summary at the beginning before we go through the four points that it mentions. Okay. There is no definitive answer to whether it is a good time to invest in property as the real estate market is subject to various economic and market forces that can change over time. However, there are some factors that can influence whether it's a good time to invest in property. That is the AI computer equivalent of sitting on the fence, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Point one, uh, economic conditions. A strong economy can lead to an increase in employment. At the moment, that's as strong as we've seen from an employment point of view. 
which can result in higher demand for rental properties and potentially higher property values. On the other hand, a weak economy can lead to lower demand and potential decreases in property values. Which is pretty simple um, to understand. You know, if we look at a recession versus a boom, where we sit at the moment is definitely not a boom, but we've just experienced it. But I guess the question is, you know, with the inflation levels and with the way interest rates are and things like that, where are we actually at the moment? I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that, um, depending on which part of the pie chart you're looking at, really. So it's a tough one. But at the moment, we know there are opportunities and the economy is really strong in some places and potentially a bit worrying in, in others. Yeah. So we spent the day in London just before Christmas and a speaker walks onto the stage very confidently and asked everyone what if, if they knew the definition of inflation. His definition of inflation was there's too much money in the economy which pushes up prices. Yep. So if there's too much money for the amount of goods and services that are available, people will be willing to pay more, have to pay more to get that service. Well, when you phrase it like that, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. No. And it feels that way, doesn't it? At the Absolutely. You know, we, yeah. We've joked about it before between me and you where we've we've read an article or seen a news bulletin or someone's mentioned about, you know, this huge cost of living crisis. And then on a Friday, you, you, you've popped to grab a takeaway and you've seen every restaurant and every bar, the cinema queuing and everything's packed. Yep. And you kind of question... What, what what are we seeing in the media to what are we seeing, you know, on the ground floor seems very different. And that's the definition of inflation. I think yeah. from a university point of view, he even said, didn't he, that is the actual phrase yeah. out of the yeah. book. From- and we, we bought new cars last year. It took us seven months to get our hands on them. Yeah. Now, if it's taking seven months to get hold of a new car, then there's a lot of people buying new cars otherwise it'll be sitting on an airfield somewhere in bristol yeah you put a, you put a quote in on you know motor.co.uk or we buy any car and they will hound you increasing that car value 200 pounds a month until you commit so the demand is there for sure so that's a question that's up for um up for debate but in terms of when is a good time to invest in property I I said on a podcast I did with Tristan and Andy yesterday that are kind of looking to get a bit of information. They said, what advice would you give to first-time buyers out there? And it's a phrase that I heard somewhere else, but I say it's better to be in the market than to try and time the market. And I think that's the same when it comes to investing at the moment. So be in the market of property rather than trying to time the perfect perfect point. Uh, Point two, very relevant. Interest rates. Low interest rates make borrowing money to invest in property less expensive, which can make it a good time to invest in property. On the other hand, high interest rates can make borrowing more expensive, which can make it less attractive to invest in property. So interest rates at the moment, I don't want to go too much on this point, but what I do want to say is um, next week we're going to be recording with Dom. Dom's a really, really good quality mortgage advisor in all areas of finance. And he was on our podcast at the start of last year, start of 2022. And he gave us some real interesting insight into exactly what he thought was going to happen with the property market. We also got Dom on when the um, mini budget happened as well to get a little bit of his expertise on that. So if you want to listen back to Dom's episode at the start of uh, last year, Money Guardian is probably 
probably the search or Dom and you'll find him. But he's going to be coming on. And that particular point, I think we're going to discuss with a couple of mortgage advisors over the next few weeks. But next week's episode is with Dom. And that's definitely one to check out. And we'll talk about what's going to happen in mortgage rates, interest rates, base rate. You know, there's what do we think from a Bank of England point of view? Maybe there's an extra percent in it if they need to, but maybe they won't as the case may be. So we're going to chat that through with Dom on that particular point. And I think that's probably the best place to leave that really because he's the expert, right? Yeah. I mean, one point I've got on interest rates is obviously interest rates are higher than they used to be. It used to be an absolute free hit to buy a buy to let Mm. and you would make more money. But if you can work out the yield, which is obviously the gross annual rent divided by the cost, um, and the yield is running at a higher percentage than the interest rate you're paying, you're borrowing money and making more on it so the investment works. When that turns round and you're borrowing money and making less on it, then the investment doesn't work. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. You can put that in as black or red in your Excel sheet and it will pop up as good or bad quite yep. easily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, point three, supply and demand. Very relevant. A, ba- a balanced market with a good supply um, and demand of properties can lead to a steady property value and rental income market. Um, a market with high supply and low demand can lead to lower property values and rental income. And at the moment, what we've experienced for as long as I can remember pre-COVID is that there's a shortage of properties to both buy and to rent. And although we've seen boom kick off from the stamp duty, from all the uh, money that went into the economy with furlough and things like that, um, we're still seeing interest rates much higher than the ones and the zero point nines and things that were out there before but there's still not enough property for the demand out there and that's definitely the case when it comes to rentals as well that's a whole different subject but supply and demand at the moment is is an easy one to explain isn't it really there there isn't as much demand as there was when things were booming and there was a tax holiday available there's still a good amount of demand a normal amount of demand dare i say it and property levels there's still a shortage of properties for for the main type of buyer that's out there and for tenants it's chronic yeah Frankly, the demand from tenants is a chronic shortage of properties. I've just let a standard one-bedroom ex-council flat in Bracknell and I had it in excess of 50 inquiries in two days, which is silly. What's the different swing on that? So the the lettings price that you achieved on it now compared to when you started your career or go back 10 years, go back a decade. Is there a big swing on it? 50%. That's a forty to fifty percent. So it's a, it's a, it's a calm four percent a year, I would say, over ten years. Yeah, it's a big it's a big amount of money difference, isn't it? So yep. um, the question is, obviously, the, the 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 calculation that you spoke to on point two about interest rates to to be done on that is 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 the investment yep. um, higher or not? Um, point four, Mike. Okay, the property cycle. Understanding the property cycle and where it is on its current phase can also be helpful in determining whether it's a good time to invest in property. Generally, during a recession, prices tend to be low, making it a good time to buy. During the expansion phases, it tends to be high, making it a good time to sell. Uh, open question, is it ever a good time to sell a property, um, which we, we can we can leave on the table? Yeah. Or, or should you, or should you the, the, the best property investor never sells a property? Obviously, Ian and I have both admitted that we've, we've failed at doing that. <laughs> yeah. and we've consistently sold properties over the years due to personal greed um, over anything else, I would imagine. But the property cycle, I 
firmly believe there are a lot of things within property and the economy are cyclical. We're going through a very cyclical phase with landlords at the moment where the majority or the the pack are selling or have been selling over the last yeah, 18 yeah. months, which has resulted in something like a quarter of a million less rental properties in England out there for tenants to rent, which in turn has meant less tenants are giving notice on their properties, which in turn is causing an even bigger dry up of the supply of properties, which is pushing rental prices. That's a massive part of the cycle. So there's a need for new blood to come in and buy rental properties in order to rent out or central government to intervene and do it themselves, which they won't. No, no. Uh, we, we, know, we know there's a huge shortage and it's interesting to see how that cycle, how that visual will that you can draw in your head based on what we've just experienced for the last three years turns into 2023. One thing's for sure that on this podcast, we're going to keep everyone updated with what we're finding. And I do actually think that OpenAI on these, this two-part episode that we've done here has, has given some quite interesting and really simple advice. And the last sentence that it typed out um, when we when we tap these questions in there was it's best to do your own research understand the local market conditions and consult with an expert before making any investment decisions and if you're not an expert yourself when it comes to it I think that's a really cool way of just summarizing what to do this year because there are going to be some incredible property investment opportunities for people this year it's better to be in the market than trying to time the market and like you said, I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, I wish I'd have kept those 10 properties that I'd flipped. One I do, so the other nine. Um, if I had, I'd be a very wealthy man today. I might not live in the house I live in today because it helped me get to the house, the family home that I live in today. It might be a little bit smaller, but I definitely have more wealth to my name yeah. than a, a big old mortgage. Yeah, very <laughs> different between cash, wealth and assets. Very Absolutely. different things. Yeah. So I've really enjoyed this uh, episode, Mike. Those three questions that kind of broke into four different questions for OpenAI was interesting. It's definitely the future. Um, it's going to be a paid for scenario at some point, I would imagine, for people to use. But we just thought this would be a fun way of kind of bringing a computer to the physical chair that's there but do it virtually and see what it actually says when it comes to property investing but overall what would you score ai out of 10 for its advice on property investing i think from a sanity point of view i'll give it a strong seven to eight yeah i was going to say seven or eight myself so i think it's it's not far from the truth and i would imagine anyone you talk to when it comes to advice in property investing because it is so relevant that 20 percent difference is so personal yeah probably everyone's an eight out of ten in, in reality apart from dave down the pub apart from dom who's on next week so make <laughs> sure you subscribe to that one a perfect link thrown at me across the desk from mike make sure you subscribe and get the alert for that next friday um we're going to get dom all over the place when it comes to finance and mortgages and what's going to go on with buy to lets and just general mortgage information to get a steer on the market. So thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you listen to part two before part one, go back and listen to part one and then join us next week with Dom. Mike, speak to you soon. Will do. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube 
that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agent's ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They agents have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.